Attention listeners, this podcast contains graphic content, explicit language, frightening stories, and other adult content not suitable for listeners under the age of 18. This podcast may also contain triggers for suicide, depression, and other types of mental illness. Listener discretion is advised. You've done it now. Your curiosity has betrayed you. You've made it to the end of the woods. But there is one problem. The monster who resides here with his bevy of fiendish friends will entangle you with his tales of haunting horrors. I pity you, friend. For you were brave enough to dive into the depths of the monster's lair. Hello friends, family, fans, listeners, and members of the Monsterage. Welcome into the Monster's Lair. This is a very special bonus edition of the Monster's Lair featuring some great personal stories from one of our great friends of the show, the bearded breed, Mr. Polly Manners himself, former frontman of legendary Fresno underground band Metal Messiah, host of the Bearded Breed podcast, and now new to Twitch streaming for games. This gentleman sent me an audio clip of some excellent first-hand paranormal encounters relating to himself, his family, and a couple of places he's lived around the valley. So with that being said, without wasting any more of your time, let's dive into the depths of the Bearded Breed's personal ghost stories. What's up guys, how's it going? It's the Bearded Breed right here, Pauly Manners. And before I start, I have to say, you know, the layer itself is, is not that bad. As long as you don't try to escape before you're allowed to, then it, it's kind of welcoming. Anyhow, uh, I've got some paranormal experiences that I would like to share. And... Well, I'll start with this. Start with the earliest one. We are just moving into our new house, a house that would become my home for many, many years. And I am fifth grade. I think I'm in fifth grade, yeah. And we're barely there for a couple weeks. And we're still like, well, I need to unpack my stuff still. But my brother is coming home and I and he's been in Arizona for like two years. So it's been my first time seeing him. And I'm super stoked about it, right? I've been looking forward to it all day. I get back from school. I go into my room and my room used to be a garage. It was converted. 
Uh, so you walk through the living room, through the dining room, through the kitchen, and take two steps down on these cement steps, and now you're in my bedroom, right? So I'm unpacking, and I'm facing the window, which would have been the garage door. I'm facing the window, and I'm unpacking. Now, I need to say this. My family are huggers, right? We are huggers. Um, so I'm unpacking, and I hear my front door open, right? And I hear the footsteps coming, and then I hear my brother. I hear my brother. He's like, what's up, man? How's it going, right? What are you doing? And I should have known from the gate, because this is, this is weird. No impulse in me. Wanted to get up and give him a hug. I didn't turn around. I didn't look at him like nothing. We just talked as if he was there forever and, you know, and we have a nice long conversation. We talked about what he did. He, he told me instances of things he did in Arizona, right? He told me full stories. And I would tell him how I was doing at the new school, about, you know, little, like, making new friends, stuff like that. So we're talking for a good half an hour. And never once did I turn around. Never once did I ever turn around and look at him. And he's sitting, I had this rocking chair in there. It wasn't, it was like a glider, really. But he's sitting on there and you could hear it could creak. So you hear it gliding back and forth. And we're talking for like a half an hour. And then I see my mom, uh, my mom's van pull up. And she double honks, you know, and normally that means groceries. So I go outside to get the groceries and thinking of it, I got up, had to turn around, walk out of my room. I don't remember seeing my brother there. I don't remember seeing him in the chair. I don't even remember looking towards it, right? So... I walk outside and I see my brother get out of the car. He goes over there. He gives me a big old hug. Right, he's all excited. Uh, of course, he has me get his bags. Um, and I'm very confused. I'm sure I looked, you know, shell shocked if anything. But I just had a 30 minute conversation with him, a real conversation. Right, I told him about Adam, my the friend I just met. I told him about the new school. He told me about things he did with my uncle in Arizona. Uh, he was telling me about a, a arcade in Mesa, this two story arcade, and you know it was a real conversation. And then he appears out of my mom's car. It was <laughs> it was very confusing, very confusing. But then, like. As time goes on over the years, more occurrences happens in that house. Uh, uh, visuals of a young boy, a young Caucasian boy. Uh, my mom seen him in the backyard while she was doing dishes. Um, she was looking out the window, seen him in the backyard. My sister seen him in the bathroom. There's even an occasion where my nephew at the time, he was like three maybe, we have like a family dinner or it was a breakfast. We're all sitting at the, in the living room, all of us, we have big family breakfasts. There are probably like 40 people in my house, right? 
while we're all of us are in the living room. And my nephew is sitting on those cement steps and we had converted my bedroom into another family room, right? Because I think my sister moved out or something like that. So I got my own bedroom, like a real bedroom. <laughs> Anyhow, my nephew's sitting on those steps and he's talking and talking and talking. And my mom turns and said, Mio, who are you talking to? And he says, the people on the couch. So my sister runs over there, grabs him up, right? And she looks and she, I don't want to say any bad words on the I don't know what the rules are on cussing on this show, but she says, holy shoot, right? And she turns around and her face is just white, just white, just flushed. And she's like, there's nobody there. <laughs> it's all bad. Um, yeah, so we had multiple occurrences in that house. But never nothing that was aggressive, never nothing that ever seemed like it was threatening or harmful, nothing like that. You're just a young boy and and, and hmm, maybe more. Because my nephew did say he's talking to the people on the couch, but he was three. Maybe it was just, you know, one person. I don't know. Anyway, years and years later, I move out to the country. Um, I'm there for a little bit. It's an unfinished house, uh, country, country. Like my nearest neighbor is like three blocks down, two blocks down, something like that. Um, and I'm there and you know, little things happen. It's a great spot. Great. Uh, a lot of play area for the kids outside a big property. Um, but you know, the fin, the finished was unkitchened. The kitchen was unfinished. Uh, I think one of the rooms needed to be painted. We moved in there and it was not completely done, right? Anyway, I would sit there. Another instance actually where a garage was converted into a family room. Um, I would sit there with my couch facing, the back of my couch facing the hallway. So late at night, I'll put my kids down, right? They're going to bed. I'd sit there in the living room and I'm either playing my game or watching TV. And they're all the time, you know, they're young boys. So at the corner of my eye, I would see like either a shadow or something move or something, right? And I'd be like, boys, go back to bed, you know? So I'll tell them and give them a couple minutes then I'll go over there and check on them, right? And they're out, they're just asleep. Never think anything of it. All right, anyway, we had some, uh, some, well, we were robbed twice in that house. <laughs> they wiped us out, right? So we end up moving moving out. And now the landlord is my dad's friend. So about a month later or so, another family moves in. And they're gone within the month. So a couple months go by and another family moves in. And they're gone within the month. But this time, the second family shows the landlord a video. Well, sends him a video on the phone. And he's walking around and just major, uh, I guess you would call it poltergeist activity. I mean, doors swaying, not even opening and closing all the way, just swaying back and forth. Uh, coffee mugs flying off the shelf. Just major, right? Like the, the dish rack would just sit there rattling. It was... Now, my, my thought about this 
is, I don't want to sound stereotypical, but these families are Mexican families, right? In a lot of cases, Mexican families are highly uh, Catholic. Am I wrong? And I'm not very religious, like, at all, right? So if they, maybe they offended a spirit or something like that with their religion, which is scary because in most, case, most cases, I would think that would mean demonic presence, right? Um, because I think spirits just like, you know, freaking insects, like a bee, you know? Uh, if you don't bother them, they're not necessarily going to bother you in most cases. So that's... Hmm. That's what I would think would happen there. Maybe they had some sort of religion that they would practice often and it offended a spirit and, you know, chased them out. But yeah, those are my experiences. Those are some of the major ones that happened. There's a lot of little things here and there with family members. And here's a cool little thing. When I wasn't born, of course, um, my dad was a baby, right? And my grandma told me this story often. When my dad was a baby, her and her friends would get together and they would do silly little things. And one instance, uh, they brought a Ouija board out. Now, I don't know what question, I forget what question they were asking. But it kept spelling out baby, right? They ask it again and say baby. Ask another question and spell out baby. So my grandma finally gets up and goes checks on my dad, who's in a crib, right? How about my dad's in that crib, blue, choking on his teddy bear's eye? So... I know they say Ouija boards opens up things depending on who answers, right? You can't see my quotation, my finger quotations, but that Ouija board uh, saved my dad's life. So that's an interesting little something. But yeah, those are my experiences. I'm Bearded Breed. Thanks for having me on this show. Um, enjoy the rest of it. Thank you. Jack Parsons. I intend to send a rocket to space and then praise Satan. But you are listening to the monster's lair. Yes, indeed. Now that first story he told in that collection of stories that he was so graciously to share with us here inside the monster's lair really stood out with me. Because it really, to me, sounds like a coincidence or an instance of a doppelganger. Um, and I've covered doppelgangers in the lair before, if even if briefly, when we were talking about the possession of Maurice Frenchy Theriot. We talked about the doppelgangers that would appear and his supposed and purported ability to bilocate. So without further ado, I'm going to cut to retelling that story now. All right.
right, let me now tell you the story of the possession of Maurice Theriot. As a child, Maurice Frenchie Theriot lived a hard New England life. By all accounts, Maurice had a miserable childhood at the hands of a cruel father. Maurice was worked harder on the farm than a child's stamina could support and forced to quit school by third grade. Maurice prayed for salvation and it seemed to come to him in unusual ways. Maurice found himself growing physically stronger and stronger. He began to know things that he could not account for. As he grew older, he witnessed an obscene act in the family barn involving an animal and his father. Caught spying, his despicable father forced him to participate as well. The exact details of these events were too disturbing for Maurice to specify. The harshness of his childhood and strange proclivities of his father are certainly enough to cause mental illness in any child or young adult. After drifting around New England for some years, Maurice finally settled down with a young bride on a family farm in western Massachusetts. Here, he led a normal life, or so people thought. He was considered a kind man by his neighbors. In the spring of 1985, the town noticed something unusual going on with Frenchie. Maurice began losing chunks of time from his memory, and small fires began erupting across the farm. These little fires brought the Terrio farm to the attention of local law enforcement. Blood would randomly appear in the house and on Frenchie with no explanation. His unusual strength continued. It was said that Frenchie could lift up to 600 pounds by himself with a thin, frail build. The most disturbing activity was Frenchie's bilocation. As in Frenchie could appear at two locations at the same time. It was decided that this was a case of possession and Bishop Robert McKenna was called in and agreed to perform an exorcism. The exorcism was successful. Or so they thought. There are still questions about what happened on the farm in northern Maine. Maurice Frenchie Theriot was the subject of the book Satan's Harvest by Ed and Lorraine Warren, noted parapsychological investigators and demonologists. They witnessed his possession firsthand, as well as his Catholic exorcism. It is no surprise, given his background, that Frenchie ultimately committed several outrageous crimes and sins, including attempted murder of his wife and ultimately suicide. In what is best described as a psychotic rage, Maurice shot and wounded his wife, blowing off her arm for the shot from a 12-gauge shotgun. As she attempted to escape from him, then after wounding her, 
he dug her back into her their home. It seemed to her that he intended to take her life. Then, after a prolonged struggle with himself, as if he was talking to voices in his head and physically fighting himself, he turned the shotgun onto himself and ended his own life. Amen, said his wife. Did Frenchie have a psychosis? Perhaps multiple personality disorder that allowed him to be the kind and gentle man one moment and a psychotic killer the next? This might explain the lapses in time he experienced, as well as the lack of intelligence of events he must have been either involved or witness to. Yet, there were no other there were other even more disturbing occurrences in Maurice's life, witnessed by law enforcement, clergy, and the Warrens that defy explanation. Among the many odd occurrences on their farm during the height of his possession, Maurice would bleed from his eyes and mouth in a twisted sort of demonic stigmata which was documented by multiple witnesses. The cause of bleeding could not be determined. Once it had ceased, there was no evidence of open wounds or sores. Most peculiar of all was Maurice's ability to be in two places at once. Numerous witnesses testified to the fact that they had seen Maurice in one area, perhaps his study, then a short time later at a greater distance than they could have imagined him traveling in a short span of time. Checking back at his original location, they found that he was still there, and with no knowledge of having left the room. Doppelgangers, translated from German literally as double walker, are associated in paranormal lore as being harbingers of bad luck. It was this strange phenomenon that caused the family to reach out to the Warrens for an explanation. In the video of his exorcism, you will see large raised bumps traveling under the skin on his arms and a bloody crack open on his forehead which heals by the end of the exorcism. Also, you will see Maurice responding to some of the exorcist questions in Latin, a dead language in which he had absolutely no training. We can certainly suspect mental illness as the source of Maurice's strange behavior and ultimate demise. However, many witnesses attest to paranormal occurrences surrounding Maurice's existence in the last years of his life. Did his childhood prayers for strength and salvation inadvertently make a pact with the demonic? Maurice's story qualifies with three of the requisite signs of demonic possession and in fact, a Catholic-sanctioned exorcism ultimately occurred. Maurice possessed superhuman physical strength. He possessed hidden knowledge of people and events, and he spoke in Latin during his exorcism. As well as he manifested inexplicable physical phenomenon, such as bleeding from the eyes and mouth, and he had doppelgangers witnessed by multiple neighbors.
start backpedaling now. You've gone too far. You're stuck in the monster's lair with the trailer park monster himself. J.D. Hutchins. Enjoy. I want to just take the time to thank Bearded Breed for coming on the show, sharing his personal stories. They were all excellent, and I'm proud to feature those on my show, and I appreciate him always contributing to the show, plugging us on his show, being my partner in crime over at Anchor, and just being a great person to bounce ideas off of and to create with. So Bearded Breed, Polly, if you're out there listening, I'm sure you are. Thanks for all you do for the show, man. Thanks for contributing great content. Thank you especially for doing your rendition of our newest intro. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. That's the bearded breed you hear in the intro. Doing the new version of it. And, uh, yeah, man. I look forward to what we can come up with in the future. And I'm glad to call you a podcast network mate. And even more so a friend. So thanks, Polly. In the aftermath of the death of George Floyd at the hands of police in Minneapolis on May 25th, Tony Kemp, Oakland A's second baseman and former player for my hometown AAA team, the Fresno Grizzlies, was one of the most active players in the MLB to speak out against racial injustice. Unsure of how he might be received upon reuniting with teammates for summer camp, Kemp has been overwhelmed by the positive response and support from his teammates. On June 5th, a week into the nationwide protests over the killing of George Floyd by police officers, Oakland A's utility man Tony Kemp posted a tweet offering to talk. If anyone wanted to have a conversation about race, or learn more about systemic racism, his virtual door was open. Two weeks later, he started a movement. The plus one effect. He is embodying a quote that I personally cite often and wholeheartedly believe in. In the words of Gandhi, he hopes to be the change he wants to see in the world by holding an honest and respectful dialogue with one individual at a time and starting a chain reaction that can change perspectives around the country. Kemp states that, quote, change one perspective, hope they can change another, and slowly we begin to see the type of systemic change that Kemp has been waiting for, for a lifetime. Kemp's The Plus One Effect, in partnership with clothing brand Breaking Tea, sees part of their proceeds go to Campaign Zero, an organization dedicated to decreasing police violence with its hashtag 8CanWait initiative. Research shows more restrictive use of force policies can reduce killings by police and save lives. Tell your city to adopt all eight of these policies 
now. The eight policies are ban chokeholds and string holds, require de-escalation, require warning before shooting, require exhaustive and to exhaust all alternatives before shooting. Duty to intervene, ban shooting at moving vehicles, require the use of force continuum to be put into place, and require comprehensive reporting by all parties involved. Another portion of proceeds from the plus one effect go to Gideon's army. A group focused on dismantling the school-to-prison pipeline and interrupting the transmission of violence. In the United States, the school-to-prison pipeline, also known as the school-to-prison link or the schoolhouse-to-jailhouse track, is the disproportionate tendency of minors and young adults from disadvantaged backgrounds to become incarcerated because of increasingly harsh school and municipal policies. Exclusionary disciplinary policies, specifically zero tolerance policies, that remove students from the school environment, increase the probability of a youth coming into contact with the incarceration system. Risky problem behavior is something those students who were suspended will most likely engage in. Ways to break this cycle include prevention, encouraging cultural competence in teachers, and looking at rehabilitative practices such as restorative justice to keep young children in school to help them through any issues. The Plus One Effect t-shirts are available in three styles. A navy blue adult t-shirt, with a gold and white front and back print on a comfortable cotton poly blend crew neck, unisex sizing with a snug fit, ranging sizes small to 3X. A Kelly Green adult t-shirt, gold and white front and back print on a super comfortable cotton poly blended crew neck, unisex sizing with a snug fit, sizes small to 3X, and a navy blue youth t-shirt with gold and white front and back print on a comfortable cotton poly blend crew neck. The shirts are designed by Nick Torres and screened in the USA. Go to www.breakingtea.com slash products slash plus one effect and order your very own the plus one effect shirt today and support productive and respectful discourse on the current race relations in our country while directly helping out great organizations focused on racial equality. Also, if you'd ever like to have a productive discourse on race relations, we are available to talk at any time. Thank you. We here at the Monsters Lair care greatly about the physical and mental health of all of our listeners. 
We believe it is important to pursue these goals on a daily basis to live a happy and healthy life. With this goal in mind, we have partnered with Phoenix Fit and are now brand ambassadors for the brand. FNX is an excellent company based out of Salt Lake City, Utah, right here in the good old U.S. of A. FNX is committed to creating innovative supplements of the highest quality that provide focus for a productive morning, energy to thrive throughout the entire day, and performance supplements to reach new goals, unique sleep and recovery, form- recovery formulas to support any sport, and healthy supplements to support any active lifestyle for all your years to come. The Monsters Lair are proud ambassadors of FNX Fit. Together we rise. We become greater when we rise together. As the Phoenix rises from the ashes, our mission is to provide fuel for greatness to live in victory every day. With our unique position as brand ambassadors, we here at the Monsters Lair can help directly in our listeners' daily health goals by providing you, the listener, with this special promo code. This code is TMLFNX20. With it, you can save 15% off any purchase you make from FNXFit.com. Once again, that code is TMLFNX20. Go to FNXFit.com and check it out now. Thank you for all of your support. Let's be clear. Liquid death is a completely unnecessary approach to bottled water. In fact, they strive to be unnecessary in everything they do. Because unnecessary things tend to be far more interesting, fun, hilarious, captivating, memorable, exciting, and cult-worthy than necessary things. For example, here's a short list. Unnecessary things. Smashing a guitar on stage and lighting it on fire. Jumping over 14 Greyhound buses on a vintage motorcycle. And cat videos. Here's a list of some unnecessary, some necessary things. Breathing. Driving the speed limit. And colonoscopies. Liquid Death was started with the totally evil plan to make people laugh and get more of them to drink more water more often. How? By taking the world's healthiest beverage and making it just as unnecessarily entertaining as the unhealthy brands across energy drinks, beer, chips, and candy. Most products in the health and wellness space are all marketed with aspirational fitness models and airbrushed celebrities. And many of us are fucking tired of it. Why should unhealthy products be the only brands with permission to be loud, fun, and weird? And let's be honest, almost all marketing and branding is just theater. So, they're going to treat our theater like a movie theater and have more fun with it. As longtime creative weirdos, they feel that positive, healthy change doesn't have to be boring and artless. If you want to have a bottled water at a concert, in a bar, at a party, in your car, or anywhere, it shouldn't have to also mean drinking from a plastic bottle that isn't actually recyclable, recyclable and eventually ends up in the ocean. As they continue to bring their unnecessarily awesome and infinitely recyclable bottled water option to more people, 
they are equally as excited to use their Healthy Water brand to help fund and elevate weird art, music, and entertainment that most big corporate brands would never touch. Much like Liquid Death, this ad is completely unnecessary, as Liquid Death is not even an official sponsor of the show. With that being said, I fucking love them anyway. So much so, in fact, I sold my soul to their company in exchange for joining the Liquid Death Country Club, an exclusive members-only fan club of Liquid Death Mountain Water. In the club, you will have exclusive emails sent your way for discounts, offers, merchandise, and special events. Well worth the price of one measly human soul that, let's be honest, I really wasn't using anyway. Go check out liquiddeath.com now and check out this completely unnecessary brand and order some delicious, thirst-murdering, death-to-plastic-dealing, eco-friendly, 100% recyclable mountain water fresh from the Alps today. Now also available in the sparkling water option. Go and murder your thirst now. Here the camera. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you are brave enough to dive into the depths. Come visit me in the monster's lair and make it out safely on the other side. I will now unleash your shackles, allow you to stand up, and allow you to now be free to escape the monster's lair.